Welcome to Voyager, the podcast. I'm your host, Eric Morgan. I'm a professor of history at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay and editor-in-chief of Voyager, Northeast Wisconsin's Historical Review. Published twice a year since 1984, our magazine is dedicated to preserving the history of a 26-county area of greater Northeast Wisconsin. Voyager is published by the Brown County Historical Society in cooperation with the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. You can learn more about the magazine by visiting our website, voyagermagazine.org. Our guest today is Heidi Satori, University of Wisconsin-Green Bay alumnus and author of Close Connections from Pearl Harbor to the 21st Century, which will appear in our summer-fall 2021 issue of Voyager. Heidi graduated summa cum laude in 2018, majoring in history, English with an emphasis in creative writing, and humanistic studies with an emphasis in ancient and medieval studies. A strong supporter of community service and volunteering, she became involved in a variety of campus organizations throughout her educational career. Heidi interned for Voyager twice, presently holds a position on the magazine's editorial committee, and is working on the first book in a series of young adult fiction. Heidi, welcome to the show. Hi, Eric, thank you. Glad to be here. We're so happy that you're with us today. Um, so let's start at the beginning. How did you okay. become interested in studying history, and where has that passion led you to today? Well, um, I guess I'd have to say I became interested in history at a very, very early age. Um, and as a child, the ancients fascinated me the most. Um, I fell in love with stories about the Mesopotamians, um, the Hebrews, the Greeks, and all their mythologies. Um, and they're still my favorites today, which is why I emphasized what I did in one of my majors. Um, I think I think I've expanded though um, into the medieval studies because um, it's just a mystery. There, you know, it's part of um, stories not being told, which also fits into why I did the article you recall about stories not being told. Um, as a child, though, too, I also discovered the languages, um, more specifically the uh, history of words. It's just another form of history, um, so etymologies. And um, I saw connections between languages and just kind of fueled and deepened my interest in learning more about those ancient cultures and peoples and so forth. Um, Let's see. Um, I also enjoy family history, obviously, because um, the article focuses on, on the Smith genealogy, their, their family stories. And um, part of the reason for that is I know very little about my dad's side of the family, and that's part of my identity that's been lost over time. So when I research for like my family roots or family roots for another family, um, it brings me, you know, closer to what I lost. It brings that part of history back to me and it fills a void. Um, so, so, you know, for me, research is just fun detective work, um, no matter what I'm looking for. When I find something that leads to something else or have, you know, questions answered, it just serves to deepen my love and interest for history. I just can't get enough. <laughs> I mean, I love I, I love hearing that, and uh, I loved hearing um, your 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 background, uh, particularly the points you made about, 
you know, discovering uh, uh, the lost past um, and then particularly the, you know, connections to your own past. And, and mm -hmm. that's something that's that's so important in the study of history. Right. Well, let's turn to your let's turn to your forthcoming article, um, Close Connections from Pearl Harbor to the 21st Century. Mm -hmm. uh, in your introductory author's note, you explain that you wanted to give a voice to home front issues that have often been ignored. What sort of issues are these and why have they been largely overlooked? Um, well, wartime history seems to focus primarily on, you know, the battles and those barking out the orders <laughs> and, um, just about the people in control. Um, we don't hear much about those behind the scenes, in particular people at home, the families that sent off these, these soldiers that they love so much. And, you know, so I'm, I'm interested in what about those people back home? How did they handle things and, you know, what did they give up? What did they do? So um, issues like, say, during World War II, they did rationing. Um, the men went off to war. So what did the women do? They went and filled the void at work. Um, so there, was, there were women going to work when usually they would stay home to raise the family. And um, issues like, um, maybe even health issues and, you know, perhaps loss of income or, um, you know, things like that. And my, my mom's parents, um, well, my grandfather, he was the first married man in Manitowoc County. Boy, that's a mouthful. <laughs> the first married man in Manitowoc County to be drafted during World War II. And I remember my mother saying that um, my grandmother was not happy about it. They were expecting their first child, which was my mother. And my grandmother just was not happy about it. And just got me to wondering, what did she go through? How did she prepare? Did she support the war effort, um, given that she was unhappy about grandpa going into service? Um, and she did. And um, I just wanted to tell her story. And when I found out about the Smith family and Catherine Smith's children, um, they, that all five of them were in the, in, in the war. They all served in the war, even the daughter did. And I thought, well, that would be a great comparison or a great um, support for my grandparents. And then I'm also a military wife. My husband served during Desert Storm. And right Towards the end of Desert Shield, we found out we were expecting our first child. And so that's a good comparison with myself and my grandparents. And then um, being a more modern time period, I thought this would be also a good comparison between us and them, us and them back then, which is, again, what history is all about, right? Discussing, researching the past, understand the present, and making comparisons, hopefully learning from those comparisons and improving our lives for the future. So I compare, I wanted to compare my issues with the issues from those women of World War II. And that's how this article started to come to fruition. However, as I started reading through the letters, um, I started to see other comparisons like between myself and Catherine. And, um, so my story changed from there. We have the article we have now. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much for that background. And we'll get to um, some of the connections between yourself and Catherine a little later in our show. Um, so also with us on today's show are this semester's digital media interns, Hypatia Fitzsimons and Cora Mullen. Um, they'll have been doing some really amazing work connecting uh, with our readers and listeners through social media. And uh, let's say a, a hello and welcome to Hypatia and Cora. Thank you, Eric. Um, so to introduce myself a little bit, um, I'm Hypatia and I'm a first year student at UWGB and I am an environmental policy and planning major. Hi there. Um, so Heidi, my question for you is, what inspired you to pursue this story? Um, the story as it sits now, um, well, as I said, my original focus was was between the um, my grandmother and Catherine and myself. And um, there's a lot of there are a lot of letters in this collection. And being primary sources, that's that's exactly what I, what I wanted to look into. And as I was reading through their letters, everything that Catherine seemed to be going through. I could relate to as a military wife and then, or I should say as a military mother, because my son is serving. And as I continued reading through some more of her letters, um, I began to realize her son, Mark, who was serving so much like my son, Adam. And it was just uncanny, the similarities between boys as well as myself and Catherine. And Catherine and I both have five living children um, we both lost the child, so, you know, we have five out of six living. And, um, what, you know, Mark had gone missing when Pearl Harbor was attacked. They had no idea where he was. And I experienced my son Adam um, walking out of the house one day without us being able to catch him in time and running off to play at a neighbor's house. And we couldn't find him. We didn't know where he went. And so I experienced this this horrible feeling of losing my son for a little while. So I could I could relate to her when she was going through what she went through when Mark was gone. Um, and it just it deepened to the point that I felt that I needed to change direction with my article. There was so much more to be said if I were to change direction. That's what I did. Thank you so much for that, Heidi. And thank you, Eric, for the introduction. I'm Cora. I am a freshman at University of Green Bay, and I am currently majoring in psychology with a pre um, emphasis, I suppose. So you mentioned the um, letters, and I kind of wanted to know why did you decide to take the approach that you did where you looked at family connections and correspondence while at war? Well, as I said earlier, um, the letters are a primary source, so I felt that they would give me in-depth information um, and details about what the family was going through. Unfortunately, there weren't any, really, there weren't any letters from Catherine herself, because these were letters she contributed to the collection. I think I only came across one, um, and I just looked at a small time frame from, I think it was like 19... Late 1939 to uh, soon after Mark was um, rediscovered as being okay. 
Um, so, um, let's see here, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> um, so I wanted to pull information from those letters being the primary sources. And um, from there, I was able to make a comparison to, like I said, what, what, I, what I had gone through as a military mother. My son had just gone off to basic training um, earlier that summer before the course started. And um, it just, it, it all just came together real, real nicely. Um, I also looked into uh, secondary sources, such as history books that were found in the Cochrane Library. Um, there, there weren't too many that had really good details about the island um, itself. As I said before, things primarily focus on the actual battles and, and the damage and the drama. Um, I also incorporated um, headline articles from local newspapers to get a broader sense of what was going on in the community. Um, so I, I was trying to cover all my bases and, and, and give the article itself, the whole manuscript, some, some good depth for the readers. Well, that's a perfect segue, actually, into um, my next question is, um, can you tell us more about your research process, including um, the Smith Papers? Our readers may be, or listeners may be unfamiliar with the Smith Papers, so mm -hmm. if you could uh, introduce those to us, that would be wonderful. Okay. Well, they were first introduced to me by Deb Anderson, um, the coordinator of the, the um, Area Research Center and Archives on campus. And I believe it started out with me telling her my ideas about what I originally wanted to focus on. And she, she had um, some years back written an article regarding the Smith family um, and the fact that they had those five children serving during the war. So she dug that copy out for me. And um, then I started looking through the collection itself. And... Um, As I said, it, it just kind of morphed into this, this other story that had to be told. Um, I was very interested in why there weren't so, so many letters about Catherine. Obviously, like I said, it was her collection that she contributed. But you would think that other family members would have eventually um, contributed theirs too, as they did with other pieces in the collection. And... Um, It, it just, I, I'm not so sure what else to say besides what, what I already said. Um, I, I had also hunted down um, another primary source, which was the broadcast from when Pearl Harbor was attacked, the interruption, the interrupted broadcast. And um, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought on what you were asking. For our listeners, um, what was that like listening to the interrupted broadcast for the first time? Um, can you describe that for us? That was intense. Um, you can look that up online and, and get your hands on the original broadcast. And if I remember correctly, it was like seven minutes long, but it was chopped up because the Smith family at the time were 
listening to um, the symphony orchestra. And um, other people, I'm sure, were listening to other things on the radio, and the broadcast was everywhere. And can you imagine listening to the symphony, worrying about your children, because there's two that were serving and one that was a one that was about to be called into service. And uh, it was just unreal, just surreal that it would just be cut off like that and um, bombing can be heard in the background as, as the broadcaster is speaking. And you know this is the island of Oahu where your son is at. And, and then all of a sudden it's gone and you're back to the symphony orchestra. And it, it had to have been a complete shock to the family. It just had to have been. Um, I can't imagine it being anything else. And then um, it did come back on with more details. And then that was that was about it. And after that was just, you know, headline newspaper articles and the president's speech the following day of, of declaring war. And it just, how can you imagine it really to its fullest extent unless you actually lived that? Um, yeah, I think it would be very difficult to imagine. I mean, other than um, other major events that some of us have lived through, you know, the the assassination of President uh, John F. Kennedy in 1963, the September 11th attacks of 2001, um, you know, the the news right. of those events, you know, everyone, you know, that I remember well. Everyone with the cliche knows where they were when they heard that news. And but yeah, right. the, the 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 way you described um, the the Pearl Harbor attacks coming across the radio inter, in, interrupting the symphony, very surreal without mm-hmm. without question. Um, I'm going to turn things over uh, or back over to Cor and Hapatia who have a couple more questions for you. Okay. Thank you, Eric. Um, I thought it was a really great point. You know the description that Eric mentioned. Um, and that's something that really drew me to your writing, just reading the article. Um, so my second question is, um, you did use a lot of evocative descriptions within your article. So why did you decide upon a more storytelling approach rather than like a traditional historical approach when writing this piece? Okay. Um, I had learned that creative nonfiction is something that has um, become a popular way of telling history. It's a way of telling history in a more novel um, setting. So as it's become popular, I thought, well, I'm taking this course in creative nonfiction. I might as well incorporate what I'm learning into this, this project, into this manuscript. And I did a lot of reading that summer before the course began to get an idea of how different authors approached telling their historical stories, Um, you know, Professor and the Madman and um, several others. And um, my hope was to hook the readers and keep them interested in the story because everybody's heard the story about Pearl Harbor's attack. And nobody really has heard that it, you know the drama of the families and and what they've gone through. So I thought it was the best route to go with a more storytelling approach for the creative nonfiction course. And that was the purpose of the whole manuscript to begin with was to complete the course so I could you know finish my major and graduate on time. 
Um, to go off of Cora's question, towards the beginning of your article, you start to describe the Hawaiian Islands. Mm -hmm. uh, did you intentionally incorporate how peaceful the Hawaiian Islands were before the attack on Pearl Harbor? Yes, absolutely, I did. Um, that was all planned. The, um, the letterhead is the original letterhead from Mark's letters home. Um, it's, it's what the Army had there on the base. And the opening lines are literally taken from his letter. It was like the first letter he wrote home after he had landed on the island. And um, I chose not just the words and the letterhead, but the color of the letterhead and the color of that first sentence. I wanted it to be a specific kind of blue to um, support the senses, you know, for the blue of Hawaii, the sky, the waters, and also send, set up the mood for the story itself. Um, because we all knew that, you know, being Pearl Harbor, something bad is going to happen. Um, so that was all done very intentional as a way to hook and keep my readers, uh, you know, not that they dismiss it all because it's another Pearl Harbor attack story. And then um, along with that, I used a lot of passive words. Um, I tried to keep them in areas that where I felt vulnerable as a mother when my son went missing and to show my fears later on as, an, as a military mother. And then I also kept a lot of the passive words in um, Catherine's parts of the stories too to also indicate how at the mercy she was at everything that she was going through um, and we're at the mercy of the government who got the military you know we have no say of you know when our kids can come home or anything like that um so i, I did a lot of intentional um work on this and the, the peaceful peacefulness of hawaii i thought was just a good way to um, set up how in Set for our readers how innocent everything was and safe it seemed at the time. Even though we knew what was going to happen, it was it was a nice setting at the time before disaster happened. Cora, do you have another question? Hold on. Yep. I suppose I do. Um, so uh, you do engage in a lot of analysis of Catherine and Mark's letters and the correspondence that you used. Um, could you tell us more about this approach and how it's helpful um, or it help, how it helps you as a researcher and writer to really understand what the authors of these letters might be thinking? Mm -hmm. I'll try to answer as best as I can. Uh, I'm not a psychology major. I analyzed her letters as best as I could so that I could get it right. I wanted to get her voice right. Um, I didn't want it to be just my voice. I wanted to lend my voice to her because she's not around anymore to tell us really how she felt and what she experienced. So all those letters that she received from, say, her oldest son, Philip, who was, um, I think he was stationed in Utah at the time at a medical facility because he was a doctor. And she really turned to him a lot for what sounded to me like advice and encouragement, just in general support. Catherine was widowed at the time, so that makes sense to me. 
And um, so I could really get a feel for what she was asking. If I just analyzed his letters or St. Mark's letters or, you know, one of the other kids or even Captain's sister, Margaret. Um, and, if, and if I could accomplish that, then I thought I could bring life to her voice um, successfully. And Mark's letters, um, he's clearly the youngest son, um, just as my Adam is the youngest son here. And he's always trying to comfort his mom and reassure his mom as well. And I think that, that as a parent, that tells you a lot um, about, about what, what his mom was probably worried about. I mean, he would respond in great detail about the food he was having, the amount of food he was having, if he was sleeping, if he had everything he needed, if he was in comfortable conditions, what he did for entertainment and leisure and so forth. So you, you, if you read through the letters and you just nitpick through some of what Mark was responding to or Philip, you get a good sense of Catherine. So that's why I, I tried to analyze as, as deeply as I could. And, and as a researcher, I think that's important because um, you want to get it right and you want to be as accurate as possible because you don't have the concrete evidence, you know, such as Catherine being alive, to, to tell us about her story. Um, so that's why I did that. Well, thank you, Heidi. Um, really just one more question to conclude this really wonderful discussion. Um, so bringing us to our modern world in your own life, mm -hmm. what parallels did you make between your own experiences and those of Catherine Smith? Oh, we definitely had the same fears for our children. Um, it was more than just... Um, if he was eating well. I mean, I had letters from Adam doing basic training, stating almost word for word the same things Mark was stating in his to his mother. So that's a really good parallel right there. And um, it just, we have the same fears. It doesn't matter where you are in time. It could be World War II, World War One, could be Civil War, could be Desert Storm. You know, it could be any time period. And all moms, I think, in general, feel the same about their children. You know, we worry about the same thing. So that's probably the best parallel I have between myself and Catherine is, is we can relate to each other in those experiences. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was a good learning experience for me, for me because I found support through... Philip's letters and Mark's letters of comfort to her, and I found some some peace of mind knowing that I'm not alone in feeling what I feel with my son. Um, yeah, he went missing as a child, and he was found, and I was fortunate. Um, but as a soldier, I'm just terrified that with you know world events that are chaotic, you know, and who's to say what can happen or where he might end up. My fear is that I would experience the same thing Catherine has experienced. And that's another parallel. That's another parallel. But as I said, I know I'm not alone. And I, and I get a great deal of comfort with that. 
I truly love hearing that um, doing research and hearing the stories of, you know, uh, others from the past who went through similar experiences brought you know, comfort and solace to you. That's that's really wonderful about kind of the power that history has um, to connect our own experiences to those of others. I think it's a it's a really wonderful thing. Um, well, thank you so much, Heidi. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's show. Voyager, the podcast, is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Phoenix Studios' executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick. Our sound engineer for this episode is Sarah Miller. Thank you, Sarah. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlies. Thanks to today's guest, Heidi Satori, as well as the magazine's digital media interns, Hypatia Fitzsimons and Cora Mullen. If you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website at uwgb.edu podcast to check out past episodes of this and all of our shows. To learn more about Voyager or to subscribe to our magazine, please visit voyagermagazine.org. I'm your host, Eric Morgan. Thanks for listening.